Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And this one's really going to be fun because we've just done a massive upgrade on technology <laughs> because we are with John Espy. And uh, as you learn more of his story, you'll understand why we have a massive upgraded technology on today's podcast. So, uh, John, we like to start this one out with a, a heartbeat question rather than all your accolades. We'll get into all that. And you got plenty, which is really cool. But um, so here's the situation. I would have come up with a different scenario, but because you and I are doing Murph Mondays, here's the scenario. We just roll in to the Harris Y Monday morning. We're getting ready to do a Murph. You just get out of that cool white G-Wagon and you're strutting down the parking lot and some of the soccer moms and the other people are saying, oh, hey, that's John Espy. That guy without the shirt. Yeah. I'm going to point guy. out that I did not come up with every detail of this scenario. <laughs> what, but they are talking about you. And in all seriousness, what would you want somebody to be saying about you not knowing that you are eavesdropping? Sure. That, that's a really good, good question. And I haven't thought a whole lot about it, but I think what I would want people to say is that, um, I care to, I care about the people that I work with and, and that I touch their lives in a meaningful way. I think that's the best thing somebody can, can say about another person. Man, I love that. Yeah. That's, I, that, I think that's why you and I connected so well a few years ago when we first met. And, uh, so that's, that's awesome because we're going to get into all kinds of things about your background and technology and growing businesses and the good, bad, and the ugly of all of that. But um, I'll let you take that, Ben, if you would. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a very shortened version of, uh, of John's background. So John's currently the CEO and co-founder at Defiance Ventures, which is investing in and creating tech companies that focus on digital. Obviously, we're going to dive a lot into that. Um, also the co-founder of Level uh, and has a plethora of strategic advisor and additional C-suite experience. So we're going to take some take the guests through uh, a lot of your journey. But also I think what's so unique about you is you've had different experiences of starting all the way to exiting uh, different tech firms. And, and I think that tech industry space too is unique in its own world. So I want to start and really just figure out the appeal for you. So what was that early draw or appeal to the tech industry? Because you really got into it before it was the booming, dominating industry it is today. Sure. So uh, I, I graduated from uh, George Mason University undergrad in the year 2000. And so there was a lot of buzz about technology. Back then it was two things. You had the Y2K problem and 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 it was a real problem that we, we averted, but it was, a, it was a real problem and mm -hmm. drove a lot of interest in technology and the internet boom. And so I actually was studying accounting in undergrad for a while. And then I started going to the career fairs and I saw what accountants were making. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I saw what the, uh, what the technologists were making. And uh, I ended up adding a second degree uh, in management information systems. Uh, I, my brother was a programmer. I had taken one class in high school and hated it. Uh, but my brother showed me the stuff that he was building, and I was like, "This is really cool." And I and I saw the job fairs, and I didn't. The MIS degree didn't give me a lot of access to programming, but it taught me a lot of conceptual things. But I just started learning from my brother, buying books, and I just fell in love with writing code. Um, and I was working as a temp at a, in an accounting department, 
at a company that was dealing with some Y2K issues. And I overheard one of the IT guys uh, talking about a problem that they were having and that their consultants couldn't figure out. And uh, I said, well, what, Marvin, what's this data structure that you're using? He goes, oh, it's something called SQL. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know SQL. Why don't I take a look? And uh, so, I, so I'd log on to his machine, and I, I fixed the problem for him in minutes. And it, it was a pretty simple problem, but if you don't know SQL, you're... You, right. You, like you're it's you're, simple <laughs> to you because you understood yeah. it. Right? Yeah, and so he takes me... So I get summoned to the uh, CIO's office, a lady named Kim Proper, and she was like, what do you do most days? And I'm like, I stuff envelopes, I process expense reports, I go <laughs> file papers. And she's like, you're not doing that shit anymore. You're going to come write code for me. And, uh, and I'm like, great. And uh, so, so I, that really, though, I, I probably put four systems into production for that company. And um, because I was the young, hot programmer, like I got, to, I got carte blanche to do anything I wanted. And I knew as soon as I started working that way that, that this was the industry that, that I wanted to be in. Wow. So you got very early access in your career anyway mm-hmm. to a side of, of the industry that typically you wouldn't, right? You would have been stuffing envelopes and running errands for, for years on end. So what else allowed you to separate yourself from the crowd of people jumping into to this industry um, because it was so budding and new at the time? Yeah, it um, it's funny. I went and interviewed. So I got an, I, I took a job offer from AMS, American Management Systems. It's a management consultancy that does some software development. They've since been acquired by CGI, but it wasn't going to be doing programming. It was going to be more analyst work with the idea of moving into programming eventually. And then my brother um, was, had interviewed with a firm that he wasn't going to go work for, but he's like, I think you would like these guys. He's like, they're they're, they're Hardcore Churnum and Burnham consulting firm. All you're going to do is write code all day long, and you're going to learn a lot. And uh, and it wasn't the right job for him, but he's like, I think you'd like it. And so I go to interview with these guys, and um, it they didn't they didn't have any on campus recruiting at George Mason. And uh, a guy who has since become a mentor and a very good friend of mine, he was my first boss out of college. Uh, he. He's, he's going through the resumes in the next room over, kind of like Gary's scenario. He doesn't know that I'm standing right yeah. there. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, this is that kid from so-and-so. This is that kid from Brown, okay. He's just making sure he knows who everybody is. And then he goes, wait a second, George Mason, since when did we start recruiting at George fucking Mason? <laughs> 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 and the recruiter, like, that's Brian's brother. And he goes, wait, Brian from UVA? And he's like, yeah. He's like, let me meet him. And he's like, he's right there. (laughs) He just looks at me. (laughs) Um, So, so, but that was the best possible thing that could have happened to me because it, it made, it put a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't Mm. angry, but I was like, I am going to out hustle and outwork every single person Mm. in this room. And and, and, it, and it just motivated me. And I think that's what differentiated me in my early career was that I always, I, I played angry, to put mm. it mildly. I, I, I approached every problem with, I'm going to work as hard as I have to work to get this done. I'm going to take on the challenges that nobody else wants to do. And, uh, and, and people noticed it. You know? mm-hmm. And then fast forward a few years later, I'm at a startup called Amentra and I'm ninth employee there. And, um, and another mentor of mine, a guy named Mike Hurt, he, he, he figured out that I knew how to sell. I don't know how, but he, he, I had a background in retail selling car stereos and he just saw it right away. He's like, we need to get you into selling this software. Like you need to, and and he did, he he just taught me how to, how to sell deals. And I was just very good at, 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 at selling. But because I had the, 
technical chops behind me. It was just a really nice combination of, mm-hmm. of things. Um, it, it's, it's rare that people can do the technology right. and mm-hmm. do the sales side. Yeah, that's, it's it, it, a powerful yeah, combination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a few directions I want to go, but first I want to go back to something you had said of the, the fuel that that provided you, right. Of, of being playing angry. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets motivated and reacts to things in different ways. Where did that come from for you to be able to use that as fuel to, to be the best version? I, you know, I don't know. I think it comes from my mom. <laughs> I, I think that's just the way she is. She, she, when she gets mad about something, she doesn't cry about it. She kicks ass. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, um, there's a, a point that I want to accentuate for everybody listening to this thing. And there are a couple things. One is you said, uh, you've mentioned mentors a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, which means a, a, a ton, you know, one, it takes humility to subject yourself and to find a mentor. Um, two, it takes um, that same empathy to become one, you know, to somebody else. And you said that early on as part of your why, which is like, hey, I, I want people to know I care, mm-hmm. you know, which is really interesting, too, because, you know, not everybody is in that that boat. And, um, and then the third thing was you didn't rely on your credentials to pave the way you knew that doing the right thing, working your butt off and doing what you said you would do and going a little bit extra or maybe a lot extra would separate and differentiate. And regardless of what industry you're in, those are marks of greatness as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate that. And, and I think that's what my brother saw in this company, Talon, that I, that I started with. He, he could just tell that was just the, the, the people who can do that there are going, going to go, go far, right? And, Absolutely. And, and I encourage people when they're looking for their first job or, or to, to switch jobs, you, you need to think about, is this place going to be a good fit for, for the man that I am? Because that, that environment might not work for everybody else, right? It may not be the great experience that I ended up ended up happening. I, th- I think too often people worry about what's my title going to be? What's my pay mm-hmm. going to be? And it's much more important to me that, that you're in an environment that can support you and challenge you in, in the right ways. Yeah. And even what you said, you know, the, the caveat of, Hey, it's a burn and churn place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've <laughs> all seen and worked in those mm-hmm. and some of them we were like, no, thank you. Because, you know, but you saw the opportunity to grow and to learn not because you're going to stay forever in the bowels of the ship yep. rowing, but that you can learn from others and like, all right, get your chops. I, I, I averaged 80 hours a week for the first year of my career. And I tell people, and when you're young, you can do that. I wouldn't right. do that at, at this age and I wouldn't recommend that people do it, but you, I literally worked two years in one year. I learned two years worth of stuff in, in one year. And, and again, I don't, encourage anybody to do that but that is the reality of working a lot more is or or doing anything a lot more as you learn it faster that's true so let's go back to when you got recognized for being able to have that that powerful combination right you know the 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 tech you know the coding and you also have this strength in sales how did that then propel your your journey because if you were one or the other you'd probably end up just being very niche you'd be some sales manager somewhere or you'd be doing coding for a company. Sure. So how did that propel you? So it, it, where, where it started was um, 
my, my mentor, Mike Hurt, that I mentioned, he saw what I was doing at a client called Intellos. And he said, hey, look, um, I, I grew that account. I found a couple new places for us to work. I wasn't the only one selling there. There were some great, great um, other consultants from our team who were also expanding the account. But he saw that I was a, was a part of that. And he said, we're trying to open up this new account called Primus. It's in northern Virginia. Um, this was in western Virginia, um, Stanton area. And uh, he, he said, so I want you to come back and help, help me close this deal, right? And so I, I was able to close the deal with him. Um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have known what to do without him, but, but we, we closed the deal together. I got to lead the project. And then Matt, who was the founder of Amentra, uh, calls, me, calls me up and says, hey, look, um, we just sold this deal to Family Dollar. We've been working on it for, year, for literally years. Um, He's like, we, we sent our, our project manager, his wife has some health issues, and he's got he's to bail. And he's like, we cannot lose this account. This is so important for us to get into the Carolinas, you know? And he's like, can you go down there and, uh, and, and take over the project? And I said, yeah, sure, Matt, I'll, I'll do it. And it's funny, because in the interview process, he had asked me, he's like, so if I asked you to go open a new office in San Francisco, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so in this case, I, I, I came down and we did a lot of great work. We ended up having a multi-year relationship with family dollar and we did a lot of really good work for, for those folks. Um, but I went and hired a sales guy. Um, cause there's two types of sales in software. There's, there's the business development side of it. And then there's the solution engineering. And so mm -hmm. for me, I'm better at the solution engineering, Okay. but I, so put me in front of the client when we know what we're selling, but finding mm -hmm. the client, you need somebody who can do that. And so um, I brought on a guy that Gary's met, Dave Carr. Um, oh, yeah. I hired him into Mentra, yeah. and uh, and and I went and signed a lease down here in in Charlotte. And I, and I told Matt, "I'm moving to Charlotte. I'm opening an office." And uh, he was like, "Okay, <laughs> you weren't kidding." <laughs> and we went and we we landed a deal with Belk. We landed a deal, and and so at that point, I I wasn't writing code anymore for Mentra. It was just mm -hmm. now, how do I open up all of these accounts in the Carolinas? And, and I did so well with that. Matt said, why don't you come back or why don't you split time between Richmond and Charlotte and run our Richmond office? Cause that's where our headquarters was. And then by the time of the acquisition, it was just run like all this, all the sales and delivery reported, reported into me at that point. So as we keep moving forward, you then make a, not then, but at, you make the jump from the consulting side into actually wanting to found and start companies. Mm -hmm. I first want to ask why you're seemingly having success. You're you're plugging along, doing a lot of great things. You're able to move where you want to move. Why make the transition from the consulting side for another company to actually having the interest in founding yourself? Um, I'd always wanted to start my own company. And I remember telling my dad right before I graduated, I was like, I'm going to own a consulting business one day. Because I had... I had bunch of customers at the car stereo shop at the time were coming in in these nice brand new Mercedes and every single one that I asked, what do you do? Oh, we're consultants. <laughs> and, and I started asking them, how does that work? What do you do? And, uh, and, and I remember telling my dad that, and, and the reality is I wasn't ready to start a bit a business. Um, but I had worked in stereo shops that were owned, you know, one or two store chains and, and worked very closely with the owners. And so it, I, I knew it could be done, but I also knew that I didn't have what it took. So I said, let me go build some skills with Talon. And I left Talon, even though um, they were doing a management buyback, uh, CMGI had bought them by that point, and they were buying it back, and they invited me to participate. 
And I was like, you know, this has been a sinking ship because of the dot-com collapse. And here's this other company, Amentra. There are eight people right now, and they just seem like they really know what they're doing, and they'll, they'll give me responsibility. And I was like, yeah. I want to go do that, and I'm going to do that until I'm ready to start my own company. Mm-hmm. It was such a good experience with Amentra, and I learned so much that I decided I'm going to just stick around. They told me, look, we're going to build this up and sell it. I was like, I'd like to be part of that. Maybe I make a little bit of money off of that, and then I can go do my own thing. Yeah. And uh, so, so I always had it in my mind that I wanted to do it. Uh, and the first company that I helped to start after a mentor was a friend of mine called me. He had started a company or was starting a company called NextGrid. He won a big project um, that he wasn't ready to deliver on. And he's like, I need help. I'm, I'm going to go raise money. And I was like, well, look, I, I can't join you yet, but I can introduce you to some people who might invest. And I, inv- and, and I introduced him to the bankers that did the Amentra Red Hat transaction. I introduced them to the founder of Amentra and then a handful of other people as well. And they were like, why don't you invest with us? And so I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and then Costa called me when my earnout was up and he said, look, I really need, I, I need a COO to get this thing off the ground. So I went and helped. I mean, I was there from, from day one um, and, and helped him get that, that company yeah. off the ground. And then a couple years into that experience, I was like, I don't really want to do this utility industry thing. Um, I, I need to, I want to go do my own thing, but I'm not sure what I want to do. And so I started, I just started doing some independent contracting and I stayed on with NextGrid as an advisor and, and an investor in the, in the company. Um, but I just started doing independent contracting and uh, I ended up coming up with an idea for a, a credit card mobile app that I called Reward Summit, and we built it, and the first couple versions were not very good. <laughs> uh, the third one, though, was a hit, and it it took off on the App Store, and it got a lot of traction on Lifehacker and some of the other uh, blogs, and, um, and we never really figured out how to make money with it, and at some point, I turned to Chris, who was my co-founder at Reward Summit, and I was like, there's always money in consulting. And he's like, he's like, I don't think I want to be a consultant. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're perfect for it. And he's like, all right, what the hell? So we started a consulting company to pay for the app that we had built. <laughs> and then a, a year later, we're doing, you know, we're, I mean, we're selling projects to the clearinghouse. And I mean, we're, we're at like a $4 million run rate revenue wise. And I'm like, Chris, like we, we should get serious about the consulting business and forget about the mobile app. You know? And so, yeah. so that That's was the bills. <laughs> yeah. right? yep. So that brought me back full circle into consulting, wow. which was what I wanted to do. Or, or I knew at some point I wanted to do that, but it just wasn't the right time until mm-hmm. it was. Before we go into that, that first company, that consulting company, um, let's go back to the Red Hat deal. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to talk through that. Sure. So, so what was your role at the time? And then let's start talking through the process of, putting that deal together and seeing it through. Yeah. So at the time of the acquisition, I think my title was uh, senior vice president commercial. So all of commercial rolled up and then I had a peer who ran government. Okay. Uh, so we had a smaller government practice, but because we were in DC, we did a lot of government work. And so that was, that was my role at the time. And Mike and Matt were very busy selling a mentor to Red Hat. They were, they had hired bankers and ran a process and actually were looking at three private equity uh, offers when Red Hat swooped in and, and, and made the offer they couldn't refuse. So I was doing a lot of Mike's day-to-day responsibilities. So I was overseeing r- really just anywhere that there was a problem. I was, I was, being sent to it handle. was coming to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but then Mike said, okay, look, I want you to create your A team and you're going to be responsible for this integration with with Red Hat. 
And the first thing they want is they want us to open up offices all over America and then they want to go global. He's like, mm -hmm. so year one, that's what you're going to do. So I recruited two younger up and or three younger up and coming guys. Um, and I said, these, this is the team. And we just went on the road and it was, <laughs> I have never traveled so much in my life. I mean, it would, it would be five cities and, and, and every week just going from office to office oh, wow. to office and really educating the salespeople on how, what this new capability that they had acquired was figuring out how do we, how do we paper things? How do we just how do we work as a, as a team? So it was a really, really fun time. And then the second year was now we're going to do it globally. And so I recruited another couple of people who I sent out to, to um, Europe, to Asia Pacific, to Latin America. And, and we, the, the strategy was a little different on the international. I wasn't nearly as hands-on in the international there. It was much more, okay, go to the country, figure out how they operate. Mm -hmm get the right people in there and then kind of equip them. But then it was a lot more uh, hands off than, right. than the American expansion had been. Right. You can't just take the blueprint here in America and yeah. then duplicate it over in Italy. Yeah. Right? I mean, and these are very different cultures. These are literally like separate entities. I mean, they're all yeah. red hat, but they're right. different legal entities mm -hmm. with completely different management structures. Right. And I, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. And, and it, it's crazy to me that a, and they're not, they weren't even a huge company at the time. They were maybe 400 million in revenue, but it was just crazy to me to see a company that's grown as fast as they had, but still has like a common, there are some common cultures between each of the Red Hat uh, offices. And it was, it was very eye opening to me. I had never done anything international yeah. before that. Yeah. What do you attribute that to of, of the company being able to grow as quickly as they have, but still keep that, that common focus in red hats case so, so number one they have a fantastic ceo jim whitehurst who i think is the number is the president at ibm now if i'm not mistaken mm. fantastic ceo I, I've, I've met him a handful of times and just one of those guys when you talk to him you, you can tell but he isn't the guy that started it there was a ceo before him matthew zulik i think i think that company is very unique because of the open source they were the first company to really make money on on open source and they take the open source very very seriously and i think when you have a mission like that mm -hmm. that becomes a common unifying mm -hmm. threat now when you couple that with a one of the top ceos in the world um, i mean and he is he, he yeah. sold the company for 35 billion dollars to ibm you know it's it's uh, i think when you couple those it's a very potent combination yeah, yeah. There are a couple things that I want to go down. One is, you know, um, as you are growing in your career, you it's I, I just think it's interesting when you look back, you start seeing these patterns, right? I mean, from doing car stereos, you had inquisitiveness, right? You yeah. were curious, yep. and but you didn't define yourself as I'm the car stereo guy. Yeah. Didn't define yourself as the I'm the male guy and I'm just stuck in the male. You had this curiosity, and that's what I still think, see about you. How did you make that transition? And you you'd even said, "Hey, I want to own a company at some point." So you're you're really good. You're a whiz kid at coding. It could have been really easy to be just be like the best coder in the world. Like I'm happy. Give me a darkened room and you know, five <laughs> monitors and I'm good, you know, and, I, and pizza or whatever. But, but what was it that made you naturally shed that and move to the next thing? Was it because, Hey, I, I see the path and I, I want to grow or what were the qualities? That that's a great question, Gary. And I, you know, I don't know that I know the answer. I, I think though, 
number one, I'm, I'm an inherently curious person. There's, there's no doubt about it. I, I have to keep asking questions and, 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 and drilling down. I, I get bored quickly. Um, yeah. So it's hard for me, not hard to see things through, but it's, that was what the appeal of consulting was to me. Was, oh, I get to go do a project for six months and then I go yeah. do another one. Mm -hmm. so, so I think inherently, I don't know if it's impatience or what, but there, that, that combination makes me always think about, okay, what do I want to do next? And I think seeing people who um, I admire and are able to do that made me just very confident that I could do that and, and, and be successful with it. When you were building your teams... Talk to me about some of the things that you were looking for besides, oh, George Mason, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, or somebody that was an underdog. But look, talk to me about some of the things that you could say, yeah, that's going to be part of my A-team. What are the qualities you were looking for? Number one for me is intellectual curiosity. I don't, I don't care what you care about, but care about something. I think passion for excellence. Um, I, and I think... Uh, accountability. I think somebody who wants accountability, I think somebody who can, uh, roll with the punches, I like to say, and somebody, especially somebody who can be a good teammate. And I tend to prefer people who have played team sports just because I think they understand that the mission is bigger than, than any one person. Right. Um, on that end of, of building the teams, you had mentioned earlier the, the differences between like business development versus solution sales. Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about surrounding yourself with people that filled your gaps. Sure. Uh, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, so number one, um, it, it is harder for me to see something through to completion because right. I like to work on multiple things and I'd like to start them. I don't necessarily <laughs> like to do them forever. Um, so finding people who enjoy being really good at a job and doing it for a while is, is very important. And, and that can be somebody doing accounting. That can be somebody in marketing. That can be somebody in software delivery, or it can be somebody in sales. I, I don't think I'm great at, at any one thing. I think that so as, as a result that I can do a lot of different things competently enough to pass. Um, and, and usually when I'm building the team, I start out with, okay, I'm going to do as many of these things as I need to do. But then as soon as I can afford to bring somebody on right. who can do it better than I can, yep. uh, that that's really the way I think about building the yeah. team. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? That's a kind of, I wouldn't say standard, but that's a smart way to be able to grow is I'm going to do this until I can step and do the things I am world-class at yeah. and hire somebody <laughs> that is world-class at that one thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you described yourself, I mean, you're a classic visionary, right? That highly intellectually curious, uh, driven, I hit the goal, what's my next goal, right? Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Um, typically, that kind of a CEO needs a good, like, steady, eddy, detail, sweep behind me, COO kind of person. Absolutely. Have you found that to be true in your I, I've found that to be true. And and by the end of a mentor, my title was COO. And, and I, so I, I can do the operations side yeah. of things. I, I think it's important when you have that dynamic, though, that you stay in your in your lane. Not that the lane is super well-defined, but that yeah. you, you have to say, okay, this is the boundary for what the COO tackles and what the CEO does. Um, my, my experience is you have to have both. I don't – very – I don't think I could be good at both. I think I'm probably better as a CEO than as a COO. Um, 
I, I think, um, but I think you need to have both. There are some people who can do both very well. Um, I, I just don't, don't think there are a lot of those. Well, I think it's good, though, that you had the experience. I mean, even in coding, you had the experience where you, you could have empathy with somebody that's in it that's grinding out 80 hours a week mm-hmm. and that you say, go home. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go take a shower. You stink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some of that going on too, <laughs> but you know, and also understanding, Hey, this is my limitation. This is not where I'm so great at. That's one of the biggest downfalls I see with leaders that hit the ceiling is they are unwilling to admit that they're not that great in this or that. And it's yeah. not a me- measure of failure. Yeah. It's just like, that's not how you're wired. Well, well, Chris and I, in the early days at Level, um, he had set up the the, um, the payroll processing and, and, and the banking. And, um, and he, so he had been running with it because he had set it up. And he came to me one day after he'd made like his third or fourth mistake on it. And he was like, and he, you know, Chris, he's one of the smartest yeah, human yeah, beings you'll smart. ever meet. And, and very detail oriented. And he said, I'm just not good at this, John. Do you mind taking it? And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. Yes, let's do it. And, and you're right. If you don't admit that you can't do something, it, it's not bad to admit that you're not good at yeah. something. It's, it's, it's a sign of strength. It's a sign. Yeah. It's, it's how you win is that you, you look at the things and you say, I'm going to do this because I have to, but I'm not good at it. And as soon as I have somebody who's better at it, I'm going <laughs> to hand it over to them. Yeah. Yeah. That self-awareness is powerful. Right. That's one of the yeah. biggest things that I've seen with leaders that hit the ceiling and I don't care if it's a six million dollar company I don't care if it's a hundred million dollar company but when it's not fun anymore and if you really get honest about it I do a real simple thing called thrive wither and and I want to know what makes you come alive (laughs) in the thrive column and I want to know what makes you wither and nine times out of ten they have accepted roles because they're good at it and there's nobody else to give it to, but it's in the wither column. And, and it's just like that ends your career. Yeah. It, being it, good it, at it something. Ends that career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does. Or it makes, I've, I've seen guys that were running their own companies that they started. They wanted to leave their own companies because it just was no fun anymore. It was just drudgery and all that it took to get them back in the happy zone is like, Let's find the people that come alive with the stuff that is making you die. Yeah. It's like the tractor pull. When the, you know, <laughs> if you ever gone to a tractor pull growing up in Kansas, it, they're a ton of fun, but the weight keeps going up and it gets over that axle and it can't go anymore. Yeah. And that's what happens. I agree. So, you know, um, I, I just think it's really cool that you, one, had the awareness. And you're willing to do that because that's a mark of a great leader as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. And also the same thing with Chris. Mm-hmm. To be able, and you created a partnership and an environment that's safe to have that versus public berating yeah. and shaming. Yeah. Now, we, we went, um, we went, as the company grew, we were constantly looking and looking at things and saying, okay, what should I be working on? What should you be working on? And then we started to open it up. It, 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 in the very beginning, it was very much he and I were doing yeah. everything. And then it was, let's let's move Sean into a leadership position. Uh, let's let's hire Dave Carr to come do sales. Let's uh, bring on a guy named Scott Harkey, who's now the number oh, two yeah. guy in the company. Yeah. Uh, and and it, but we we were constantly communicating about that because we were very aware of our own uh, our own shortcomings yeah. for sure. No, that's that's impressive, right? The 
being good at something, I, I think is probably the most difficult aspect of being willing to step away from. Because just because you're good at something, if it's like Gary, if you said if it's in your wither column, yep. most of the time you just keep doing it, yeah. Yeah. and it makes you dread every single day. Yeah. So yeah, that that's uh, it's impressive how you did that, how you and Chris pieced that together and said, okay, whether I'm good or not, that's not the end all be all. We're yeah. figuring out who's the person that can take this to the next level. A- absolutely, and and the best example of that was um was HR. Neither of us liked managing HR. Nobody <laughs> who does. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, but we both would just do it. And, and, and by the time we finally hired somebody to run HR, we were probably 80 people. So that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot wow. to manage, you know, and one of our, yeah. one of our investors and advisors, um, pulled me to the side and was like, you are insane to have a company this big and not have a head of HR. Right. He's like, you, he, he also pulled us, pulled me to the side even earlier on and said, you are insane. Um, to not have more diversity in, in, in your leadership team. And you better start fixing that right now. He's like, cause the minute we, he's like, it's going to bite you in the ass. And it wasn't that we were racist or anything else. We just yeah. had built, built the team the way that we built it. And, and he had the foresight to say, you're going to get to, to sell into somebody who's going to look on the website and, and, and it's embarrassing. He's like, and, 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 I, and I needed to hear that. Right. And so we, we, we yeah. made the effort to go after it, but it was, but the HR thing too, is sometimes the, <laughs> you don't see like you don't see that you're in the wither column with with yeah with yep, HR right. and and somebody else has to tell you you know yep. yeah talk about the growth because you know from hey let's pay for this app that's not paying for itself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> to hey I think we got a real thing here let's juice it yeah. to you know taking outside money and all that kind of stuff like yeah. walk us through kind of the the speed and the trajectory and what some of those major milestones and also some of the the stuff that was like not so fun yeah yeah <laughs> so 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 when we started the business i called a friend at vmware um this was prior to them spinning out pivotal he was running solution engineering for the vfabric team and uh He's like, I'll get you and Chris jobs tomorrow. Because remember, we needed to pay some bills. And I was like, oh, right. no, no, we're going to, we'll do consulting for you. <laughs> so our first six or seven contracts were, um, VMware had sold a project and they didn't have the staff to do it. And so we'd go work for a week. And we could make enough money in a week to pay for a month. So each of the theory was we're just going to work a week every month. <laughs> and that never yeah, worked out that way because we were so busy. And so I'd, I, we probably was four months in we were so busy I, I was like look Chris we need to hire somebody my friend Sean Shealy he worked for me at Amentra he's ready to leave the bank he had developed some of the back end for the app that we that, that, that we were still trying to commercialize I was like let's do the same thing with him let's bring him in and we'll start you know billing him out once a week or once a month for a week and then Maybe it'll free up our time or we'll have him, he'll have more time to spend on reward summit. And it just didn't work out that way. He was so busy that literally a month later we hired our second employee. And by the end of that year, Mm. we had 12 employees. Uh, We had done a million dollars of revenue. We were on a run rate to do $4 million though, because obviously you start the year at at, at one, right, right, right. right, right. And at another. And, uh, and, and that was the, that. And by then, we were selling to other companies. We were selling to the clearinghouse. Um, we closed a deal with AIG, and uh, so I brought in Matt. 
from Amentra and also NextGrid. And I said, hey, take a look at what we're doing here and tell me what you think. And uh, he's like, look, I think, I think you've got an insanely talented team. The projects that you're doing are awesome. He's like, but your brand sucks because we weren't level yet. We were called Lada Partners. And he's like, you're, oh, he's, yeah. like he's like, your brand sucks. You need, and, I, and he's <laughs> like, I challenge you to think globally. He's like, with all your experience that you had at Red Hat, we, we could probably do something globally. And he's like, I think you need some capital. I'd like to come in and help you rebrand. And so that was the first mm. time we took money. And with that money, it enabled us to hire Dave Carr, who was selling for Red Hat since the Amentra acquisition. And we couldn't afford to pay Dave without the money that we took from Matt. It just, yeah. and mm -hmm. I tell people, you're never going to be able to afford a great salesperson because they're just, right. they're expensive, you know? Yeah. And, uh, For good reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so we hired, we hired Dave um, and we started opening up other offices and for us opening an office is I'm going to go bring somebody on that I like who lives in New York. They're going to yeah. go get a WeWork and then they're going to start building a staff. Right. And, yep. and so by the end of year two, we were, we had done 4 million in revenue. Again, we were close to a $4 million run rate at the beginning. Um, we were probably 40 people at that point. And, but we were starting to sell some big deals now. Like we, like deals that, we, we were working on deals that were probably more revenue in a year than what we had done <laughs> across the entire company in a yeah. year. Yep. We weren't closing those deals yet, but we're working on them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that third year was just a huge transition for us because we went to $10 million the third year, uh, 18 million, the fourth year, and then 33 million, I think the, the, the fifth year and the fifth year was when, um, I ended up stepping away as the CEO and moved into more of just a, a you know, an investor in, in, in yeah. the business. Uh, but it continued, continued to grow uh, past that. So before we go into you stepping away as the CEO, um, that point in year two where you're working on these projects, but you're not getting them. Mm -hmm. um, how does that affect the culture in the company? Is it excitement because you're in the conversation or is it demoralizing because you're so close, but you're not getting it? You're asking the exact right question, Ben. <laughs> I, I told somebody this in, in one of my podcast interviews recently, they asked me a question about it. And uh, I, I remember we, we got brought in to look at a deal <laughs> that we had no business doing and we, we made it to the short list. It was literally to launch a new credit card product for a bank that had never done credit cards before. And slalom ended up winning the work as they should have. Uh, but Chris and I were so happy. Like even after we lost, he's like, yeah, I'm kind of bummed. I was like, Chris, we're going to win the next one. Like if we're at the table now yeah. and we keep building capability, this is what we can do. We're not going to worry about week long projects for VMware anymore, you know? Yep. And, uh, and, yeah. and I think because Chris and I had that attitude, everybody else had that attitude too. Um, I, I, I try to tell people when I, I try not to let the highs or the lows affect me. If we do something great, I don't want to be too, I don't want to celebrate too much. You, you need to celebrate, but not too much. If if we lose something, we don't need to beat ourselves up. We just get me into the next one. What's it, the next opportunity? It's interesting, though, because you say that, but yeah. 20 minutes ago, you talked about playing angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you balance those two of, of trying to stay even keel in the really good and the really bad while also using those types of scenarios to motivate yourself? No, that, that's a great point. And I think the difference is, um, you pick what you play angry about. You pick what's going to be the, the chip on your shoulder. You um, control it. You don't let it control you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, I, you know, I, um, 
growing up, my favorite football player was Art Monk for the then Washington Redskins, mm-hmm. now the football yeah. team. <laughs> and uh, Monk was a great player. He his stats would have been, you know, the the top top shelf stats of of all time were it not for Jerry Rice, who was just a whole different level, right? Yeah. But but Monk was a great player by any measure. And I remember seeing an interview once, and they were like, because they're most receivers they they spike the ball or they celebrate and, and we like it and it's funny and it's awesome but he famously every time he got in the end zone he just handed the ball to the ref and finally a local reporter was like why do you do that and he's like because i'll be back <laughs> <laughs> i don't need to celebrate yeah. i know I'm, I'm used to being here you know? mm-hmm. and i think that attitude when you win and when you lose is is good now i do think that i do like to play angry but it's not on not on success or failure it's more on you know, uh, just finding something that motivates that finding something where I'm like, okay, I can, I can be angry about this. It's not going to, it's not going to pull me down. It's not going to prevent me from doing other things. This can be a positive energy. And that was the George Mason comment. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, it makes a difference too on as a leader, what you project yeah, sure. versus what fuels you internally anyway. Yeah, because there is a difference, you know, the real volatile leaders. I mean, some of them extremely, you know, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to name names, but they're some of the best and biggest that we've known, but are so volatile as well. And, you know, brilliance and success, but still volatile, which, you know, their cultures kind of suck because of it. I think if you can be volatile inside, (laughs) but project calmness and collectiveness and calm and collected and I'm in control here, I think that that's a deadly combination. Yeah. 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 Um, So back to, I wanted to go back to those, but um, (laughs) now as we keep going in the journey and you, you actually make the decision to then step away from the CEO role of level. Talk us through why, what's the... What was the decision and what led to that? Well, it, it really wasn't much of a decision. Um, we, we, were, we were exploding. I mean, we, we had offices in the UK and Singapore, Australia. We're, we're, we're working on massive deals. We've got companies coming in wanting to buy us. We've got companies wanting to fund us. We've got companies we're wanting to buy. And, and the communication had just started to, to break down in a way that I didn't appreciate at the mm-hmm. time. And in retrospect, there were really two camps that were kind of forming inside of the company by this point. And there was the one that was more, let's keep going after growth and, and, and we'll figure out how to deliver it later. And there was another that was saying, well, we're already big. Let's run this thing well. And, yeah. and, and, and I didn't realize that Matt and Chris, um, we were the three partners in the business. We, we owned the same amount of shares and we, mm-hmm. we were the three biggest shareholders. I was the CEO Chris was the CTO and, and Matt was, was um, we called him an operating partner. He was just very, very involved strategic advisor at that point. But um, it, there were just some miscommunications and uh, some people were unhappy in, in the senior ranks of the company. And, and Matt and Chris just pulled me aside one day and they said, look, we don't want to run the company the way that you want to run it. And mm. that you, that's the only way you know how to run the company. And they were like, we... Um, you know, we want you to step down as CEO. And it was, it was, it was a gut punch for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, in retrospect, if we had communicated better, if I had paid a little bit more attention to, um, 
to some personalities, you know, that, that were at the table, um, we, we probably could have had it go down a different way, but I, I, I could have tried to fight it. I, I could have, there, there were a lot of options that I probably could have taken. Um, but I said, you know what, after I sat down and thought about it, I was like, if, if, if the, if this is, and when you have three partners and two want to go one direction, yeah, right. That's, yeah, that's the direction it's going. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, and and the good. I mean, the good news is the week before I, um, the week before this all went down, I was in London visiting a client of ours, and the founders of the company. Um, we were doing some consulting work, and they 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 asked me, well, "What do you think we should do?" And I was like, "This is what I would do with this business," because they wanted to bring a portfolio company over to America, and and the founders were like we don't want to hire you as a consultant. We, we want to be your partner. Like, why don't we do a joint venture to, mm -hmm. to launch this in America? And I was like, okay. And they're like, and you can do it through level. Or if your partners don't want to do it, you create your own holding company. <laughs> and, and that's what became defiance. So, um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I worked for about, and so I came back already thinking, yeah, these guys aren't going to want to do this. It's probably not going to be level. And I'm starting to ask myself, like, I really want to do this thing because um, it was a very interesting opportunity. And, and, and so when, when they approached me with that, I think that lightened the blow <laughs> to my ego and to my, yeah. just my worldview exploding. I was like, I was already starting to think about like, can I do this other thing? Yeah. And um, so I started mm. creating the defiance brand with, within days of, of, um, of, of everything uh, going down with, with level and for about six months, maybe nine months, I worked with that group in the UK. I spent a lot of time in, in, on the West Coast, spent a lot of time in London with them. Uh, we ultimately decided not to do the joint venture, um, but I had already created the infrastructure for doing venture building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, ironically, I just finished interviewing the North American managing director of that of that company today for my podcast earlier, oh, really? earlier today. Oh, how cool. <laughs> so we've stayed in touch. We didn't end up doing that joint venture, but he even says in the in the interview, he's like, we're gonna we're gonna do something eventually. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so um, yeah, I, I don't know how I jumped ahead to defiance, but um, I don't remember how we got there. We're trending yeah. in that direction. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's all right. <laughs> so I, I got a do a little pause and go back a little bit because um, I've had a number of partners and I've gotten screwed, quite frankly, um, and had deep betrayal. And that's not necessarily, maybe you felt a little bit of that, I don't know. I felt, I, I probably felt a little bit of personal betrayal, but I did not feel like they screwed me over. Yeah. I did not yeah. feel like, I, I understood where they were coming from. I felt like they could have handled it differently, but 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 yeah. I, I somehow I was able to find something in me that was like I'm not angry at these guys I'm really I really was I did feel personally like with the relationships we we could have yeah. tried to do it a little bit differently yeah, right. but yeah yeah and especially if you're a relationship person it ta it cuts yeah. a little d deeper I think too now my wife would say no more partnerships ever 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 but I still <laughs> believe in them I mean I, yeah. like I do believe in them so my question to you is like. You've seen the good, the bad. I mean, you've seen amazing growth. You've seen difficulties that go with out of not out of control, but very. It was close to out of control growth. growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to point out to people we did more every year than we had done every year combined before that. Every single year of levels exists. Exponential. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at yeah, some yeah, point, yeah. infinity and beyond is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, how do you feel about? partnerships you know are you you 
still b- believe that, yeah, that's a great fit 100%, for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I a hundred percent believe in partnerships. I, um, I think that you, you have, they're hard. They're just like marriage. Yeah. Right? Like they're, they're, they're incredibly hard to manage. Um, but you have to work at them. And I, look, if, if I were a talented enough person to do it by myself, I might've started defiance by myself, but, but the reality is you, I don't, I, I know myself that I need, I need a partner. I need somebody yeah. that I can go to. They, they say it's lonely at the top and it is. It and is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other thing for anybody that's experiencing rapid growth, you know, one, it sucks cash, mm-hmm. which that can cause destroys some, cash. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fuel and it just sucks. And it in out. consulting, it's even worse. Right. So, cause, cause in the consulting business model, I hire somebody, I'm not going to put them on a project on day one. I might put right. them on a project after they've been there for two weeks or they might be on the bench for a month or six right. weeks, right? And then you've got a delay. Yeah. And then you got you you invoice 30 days later and then they've got <laughs> net 30 and then they yes. pay a week late. <laughs> so so it's 100 days that I'm paying you before I'm getting a wow. dollar. And, yeah. and, and with gross margins of 48%, there's there, it's just math. There's only so much growth that you can afford at any given time. And and again, the the, the very wise uh, investor and advisor that, that we had who told me about the DNI problems, who told me about the HR um yeah. He, he pointed out to me because he had run his own successful business that he sold for a ton of money to ICF. He said, look, this is the irony of consulting. When you're growing, you're going broke. Right. When, when things are slowing down and you're starting to worry, you, 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 you're making so much money that you, can, you, know, you, don't, you don't know what to do with it. And he's like, that's the irony is the better you're doing, the less cash you have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, you had so, a, so the explosive growth you were talking about, and then I got you off on the tangent about the yeah. So the, the only other question yeah. I had for you in that, which is, uh, so you mentioned communication. Mm-hmm. It's it, it seems like communication and cash are the top two things yep. that plague every company, and especially cash if you're growing fast. Yep. But the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, like training, like that. Yep. That's another thing that just plagues pretty much every company. Yep. Like. Did you feel like you got any handle on that or how did you, you know? No, no. We, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the training to me, th- there's, there's two types of training, right? There's the training on the technical aspects of what you do. Right. And I think that's fairly easy to solve. Um, to me, it's more the leadership training. And when you're yeah. growing, the hardest part is everybody's doing a job they suck at because it's a new job that they've never done before. <laughs> so I always think of waves and, and we saw them at a mentor. We saw them at, at level and I've seen them in some of the companies that I advise um, for a little bit. You, you, you grow, you hire some people and then it's painful because people suck at their job, <laughs> including me, including everybody who's yeah. now doing things yeah. they've never mm-hmm. done before. But then you start to figure it out and things start to run really well, which leads to more growth. And then you're like, okay, now we've got to bring more people. And it just keeps compound, compounding yeah. o- over over time. And so I think the the training that I'm more concerned about is the how do we drive the culture that we want? How do we get people to behave the way that we want them to behave? Um, that part, we didn't do a good job. I mean, we... we we, we did, we'd, we'd bring in consultants and we'd go do retreats and, 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 yeah. but you never have enough time to spend with everybody. Right. And so I don't think we ever were, were great at, at that. I think that, um, 
training around processes and procedures we probably got better at over time that's not something i have a lot of interest in just being honest that's one of those that would wither me for sure but we had some people who loved it and I i think we actually did a pretty good job with hey here's here's HR policies, here's procedures, here's the way that you escalate things, here's how, you know, th- th- those sorts of details. I think we did eventually get better at, but I always felt like we, we just weren't spending enough time as leaders with, with the future leaders in the company, mm-hmm. which is the most, the most important training in my mind. Yeah. So there's this, uh, how am I going to say this? There's this gap that you have between yep. stepping down from the CEO role to officially having defiance up and running. And so part of this is talking to the London company and things like that. But that year and a half period, especially after the experience that you had in level, uh, what did that look like for you personally? Yeah, um, a lot of gym time. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thing. Yeah, you were doing a lot of posting CrossFit. (laughs) Yeah, I was doing a lot of CrossFit at the time. Um, You know, there was a lot of, the very first couple weeks were just you can imagine everybody reaching out and going, Oh, what happened? Right. You know, yeah. cause it was, I mean, it was, it, it, it became public. The Charlotte business journal called me within days of it going down and they're like, what the hell is happening at a level? We're hearing this, we're hearing that. And then, so they wrote an article. They were very nice to let us tell what happened. And you know, sure. but, but it was just a lot of outreach. And so I spent a lot of time the first few weeks, just talking to people and explaining what was going on. Yep. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I started working on the brand for defiance. I started working, um, with the firm in the UK, um, I, I started doing some investing and just advisory work. I did some advisory work for a great firm here in town called Stratified. Um, yeah. I spent a lot of time with Derek and and, uh, and his crew at the time. Um, I did some advisory work for a, an Irish company called Nearform that just raised a bunch of money and is getting ready to take over the world. Um, and, and I got to spend a lot of time in Ireland as, as a result and met a lot of really cool people through that. Um, I, I knew I wanted to do defiance. I just wasn't sure when, when the project with the UK firm didn't end up coming to fruition. I said, okay, I've got this brand. I, I still need to find a partner in it. Uh, you know, I've, I'll, I'll keep it on the side. Um, Stratified wanted me to join full time, which they're a great team. And I, it, it just was, they were so far along already and I need to be early on in the company, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, but, but my friend Rob Finlay from, 30 Capital, um, very, very successful commercial real estate um, professional. He's made money owning a commercial real estate bank. He owns a very (laughs) successful commercial real estate portfolio, and he has had multiple software exits. And he was a big client of Levels in the beginning, which is how I met him. And he calls he he called me up right after the level thing went down. He's like, "What are you gonna do?" And I'm like, "I'm gonna do this thing with this UK company." He's like, "Okay, let me know how that goes." He calls me three months later. I'm like, "I'm still working on it, man." He's like, "Okay," and then he <laughs> calls three months later, and I'm like, "Yeah, that thing isn't gonna happen." He's like, "Good." So you remember that data lake <laughs> thing that you helped us out with? He's like, "I turned it into a company, and I want you to run it while in." It was always the the agreement was always like Rob was. Um, selling one of his other businesses, he was moving from Miami to Charlotte, back to Charlotte, and uh, and and, he, and he, he said, "Look, when I get back to Charlotte, we'll figure out a power sharing arrangement." And um, and if anybody knows Rob, there is no power sharing with Rob. <laughs> he's he is, uh, he's a force of nature to, to put it to put it lightly. But 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 I told him, I said, "Look, Rob, I've got some other things that I want to do, but I'm I'm really excited. I'll do this." So I came in and was his CEO for 
seven eight months while he while he sorted out yep. selling ims and uh and i had a great experience doing it i um ended up doing uh, we it's a it's a data lake platform and analytics platform that he's selling to commercial real estate owners so we got our first five clients on the platform um really figured out how our how are we going to do customer support? They're, they're still they're still growing, and they're now a client of Defiance's as well. But he he was able to come back in. But in the meantime, of before he came back, I had been introduced to a commercial real estate um, uh, fund here in town. Who one of their family members had bought a uh, or ten years earlier had bought a cybersecurity company out of Raleigh, and they needed some advice on how to. What, what to do with this business. It was starting to, it had been losing money. It was losing customers, still had some marquee clients and a great product. And so um, I told them I would do the work for free, the, the advisory work for free, but eventually I wanted them to use our software. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and it's funny because I brought in my now partner, uh, Tarek, and I said, look, Tarek, these guys own a product that's in your space. He, he owned a data center. He's a cybersecurity expert. He's a network and infrastructure expert really understands the data center in, in, in some really meaningful ways. And we're sitting in a meeting with, with this uh, commercial real estate owner and uh, Tarek, and, and the guy goes, I think we should just shut this business down. He's like, I just don't want to piss off Wells because I've got a big line of credit for my business with them, and they're a big client of this company, you know, this product. And Tarek's like, we'll help you figure out how to do that. But there's another alternative. Maybe John and I buy it. <laughs> and, and I look over at him and I'm like, I was hoping he was going to say that, but we hadn't <laughs> talked about it. And I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Tar he, Tarek was like, we get in the car, we get in his car to drive back. He's like, I hope you didn't mind. And I was like, nah, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm in, you know, and he's like, but what about, he's like, look, John, I look at so many investments and there's some investments where there, it's just a home run and I put the money in, you know, and he's like, it, it, it takes a big market. It takes a real problem. It takes a 10 X solution and it takes a team that I believe in. And he's like, most of the investments I don't do. Some of them are just a shitty idea. And he's like, you just forget about them. But he's like, there's a lot of things that I look at where I'm like, if there were just, if I could just give them all of these capabilities, yeah. they'd be a lot more successful. He's like, what if we do this, we do this acquisition but we also build a business that can actually support that acquisition and other acquisitions and other yep. investments. Yeah, and I was cool. like, funny you'd mentioned that. So I, I, I sent him the, the data room link for all the branding work I had done for Defiance. And he was like, I love it. How much do we want to fund it for? And that was it. That's how we started wow. Defiance. It was with our first acquisition. We, we knew we wanted to do the acquisition. I showed him the, my concept. It was very aligned with what he wanted to do. And, and so we launched on March 1st of last year. What's the pain that you see that created the opportunity, the pain of these target companies or these companies that you're going to help? There's probably a number of things, but what would be some of those kind of common? So we, we see a couple different types of pain, um, and we're just figuring this out. So yeah. this, is, this wasn't in our original thesis, but there's the, there's the pain. We'll call it succession planning. Yeah. Uh, we see companies that are, you know, they're, they're solid businesses, but there's a management team that's checked out, ready to move on. Um, and, and I think that that's a very big opportunity for us. I think there are a lot of these businesses out there where they, they just, the, the, for whatever reason, the management team either needs to go or wants to go. And, and, and that we think that that will always be an opportunity that we want to want to look at. I think that there are great ideas 
great products, but no idea how to distribute the product, <laughs> no, no idea how to market the product, um, and, and no real ability to find the right people who know how to do that. I think that's the number one challenge that early stage companies have right now. I think they're way too focused on product and not nearly focused enough on distribution. Yeah. And, and I, I, was asked, I, asked, I was asked by my guest today from the UK firm, he said, what do you think about distribution versus product? And I was like, oh, distribution trumps, right? I, that's why you see Salesforce is able to go buy companies and 10x their sales in a minute. The product didn't change. It's right. just that Salesforce can sell to anybody. Oracle, mm. IBM, all of these companies that have distribution, it doesn't matter what product they're selling. They're going to sell a lot of it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the number one problem that a lot of the companies that come to us, they're, they want help with engineering. They want help with capital raising, but really they're like, how do we sell? How do we market? Um, and then I think that there are some other opportunities that are more like the UK opportunity that, that didn't come to fruition, which is there's a partner who has every capability, but they don't have the boots on the ground. And mm -hmm. if they're like-minded and we can figure out an arrangement where we're both able to, 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 to make some money doing what we're doing, I, I think that those are going to be the really interesting opportunities. And we've actually had a fourth one. Um, we, we, we have a consulting business now that's probably 20 people, and, um, and we use it for our portfolio, but we've been using it for, uh, for outside clients. And we started seeing over and over again that companies are really struggling with um, building a DevOps team. Um, DevOps is a, is a practice within largely within public cloud, but it's, it's a practice of automation and deployment and it's a game changer if you can get it right, but there are not nearly enough engineers on this planet <laughs> to do it. And as a result, their salaries have doubled over the past five years. And a lot of, a lot of companies that are in that 50 million or less revenue f are finding it very difficult to do this well. That, but they want to go to AWS. They want to automate. They want to. They want to do things that it just is expensive to do right now. And so we ended up spinning out. We started doing this for a handful of clients, and we said, "Hey, why don't instead of us doing it as a consulting company, why don't we just manage it for you?" And so we created a managed service on top of AWS, and we've now we're signing our fourth client. We've got a fifth client teed up, and we've just decided that that needs to be its own entity. We, we don't want to sell that. And so I think that there will be things like that that we see where we say, you know what, we're seeing this over and over again. We're just going to go create it ourselves. You're talking a little bit there on who you're working with, right, mm -hmm. and who you work best with. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of things that I wanted to ask about that. So first, you have um, building the future mm -hmm. on your site. Mm -hmm. So start with what does that mean to mm -hmm. you? And then obviously we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. So I, I think um, to frame that, I think one, one of the, one of the things I've heard that we've all heard that really, really touches a nerve for me is software is eating the world. Right. At, um, I think Andreessen Horowitz, one of the, it was an Andreessen who said it or Hor one of the two said software is eating the world. And I think that everybody realizes that there, to me, the line between a technology company <laughs> And other companies is very blurred. I think Morgan Stanley would tell you that they're a technology company that has a bank, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, and so I think that there are, I think everybody realizes that the, the future is, is technology. It is, and, and, and again, it isn't that technology is the only thing that matters, but everything that matters will be made more meaningful right. through, through technology. technology. Yep. Exactly. And, and so that's what we talk about 
we want to help you build the future, whether that's that we can help you out with sales, we can help you out with marketing, we can help you out with capital, we can help you out with raising capital, finding partners, we can do the engineering. Um, we've got products that will make things work better for you. That That's really what we mean by by building the future. And, and focusing on the future, focusing on innovative companies, things like that, is that a... Um, a reason of margin? Is it an interest that, that you have? What's, what's leading you to working with those types of companies? Um, well, I think that at the end of the day, and I used to talk about this a lot at Level. So the branding behind Level was we level the playing field. We, we help big companies innovate and we help small companies scale, right? And it was very important. I, I thought what we were doing at Level was hugely important because these are communities. If you look at what happened in Detroit when the automotive industry crumbled, that these are communities, these are, these are lives that are destroyed. Other lives are enhanced tremendously. And I think that if you can help company, companies and uh, economies and um, organizations to stay ahead of that curve and prevent the future that prevent what eventually happened to Detroit, what, there's nothing better, you know, nothing yeah. more motivating yeah. than, than, than being able to do that. And, and I think it's that same mode of thinking for me. It's, hey, let's help companies to make sure that their future is bright. Don't be the one that software eats. Be the one that's eating. You know? yeah. be, be, I, don't, I don't know what the term is. Be the eater, not the, not the eating, right? <laughs> Prey and predator. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Prey and predator, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then to keep going down that, that rabbit hole of, who you're working with and, and how that's a differentiator. You do a lot with, thanks. Um, you do a lot with, with early stage mm -hmm. companies. Uh, why is your, your focus there? I, I think that we, it, it's easier for both Tarek and me and, and all of the people that we've brought on to the team to relate to early stage companies just because it's, it's what we know. But I think working with early stage companies is very energizing. There's a naive naivety that people have and, and an optimism. And um, but there's also big opportunities. Uh, I think we all know that most early stage companies fail. And e even with defiance or level or anybody who can help you, it, it's still tough. And a lot of them do fail. So it isn't it isn't as much of a monetary thing as it's what we understand, but it's also just exciting for people to go to go work on these things because you feel like you can change the world. Right. And because it's almost, you say it's not a monetary thing, it's almost the opposite. If you get people too early stage, quite often the cash flow isn't there to yep. be extremely profitable until they're in the next stages of growth. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you deal with that issue? So we try to balance... I, I talked with Gary about the different types of opportunities. We, we, we find opportunities. So for instance, the first acquisition that we made, that's a very profitable business that kicks off cash. We may grow it. We may not. But the reality is if we have a handful of those in our portfolio, we can go swing hard for the fences on a couple of others yeah. and still keep paying everybody, which is important. Yeah. It's kind of funny because it kind of goes back to you and Chris, yeah. you know, <laughs> doing your day job so that you can yeah. pay for the exactly the, the cool yeah. app that wasn't making any money. Yeah, um, exactly. So I have to go back, mm -hmm. and I don't want to put you on the spot, but, man, you, you are hitting some things that just scream purpose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back to, you know, part of your why, which was, you know, what I heard from you was like, man, I, I really care about people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just about somebody could say, man, look at what that dude's driving and check out all this cool gear in here and whatever. And it, 
but I've never known you. Yeah, you got cool stuff, but I've never known you to be owned by the stuff. I've yeah. never known you as that. I've I've known you as a really soulful guy. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit more about that purpose and even some of the values that are really important, whether it was at level or somewhere else that are still the things that, you know, kind of drive you personally, but also look, you know, you're looking for in those people that you're, you're working well, with. Well, I, I think when somebody takes you under their wing and shows you love and makes meaningful changes for you, it's hard to forget those lessons, right? And I, yeah. I can point to seven or eight people throughout my career who did that for me. At one in particular, Mike at a mentor really just instilled, and I, I just so appreciated what he did for me. And um, but he he told me you have to pay it forward. Don't yeah. don't ruin what I've given you. <laughs> you <know>? Like <laughs> go out and and go out and do this for other people. And, and I think seeing that it, it just instilled in me that that is that is important. It's not to say that I'm always an easy person to deal with. It's not to say that I don't sometimes make decisions where 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 you know I'm, I'm not creating a win win. Um, I'm, I'm human, but but I think that I try to uh, always think about. I know what it meant to me when Mike did that for me, when Costa did it for me earlier in my career, when Steve did it for me, the George fucking Mason comment. (laughs) Um, I knew what it meant to me. And so to be able to give that to somebody else is a gift. It's just knowing what I'm doing for them makes me feel amazing. Um, Yeah, man, that's so I want Gary kind of gave me the opening of not talking a direct business question. (laughs) I I want to step away from business for a second. Sure. You, uh, you consume different content, right? So, Mm -hmm. so you listen to, I know you've mentioned the Aubrey Marcus podcast and, and we were talking earlier uh, about a couple others. Um, yeah, Tim Ferriss, I love listening to his podcast. Ben Greenfield, I love listening. Joe Rogan, who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan? Right. <laughs> um, I, and not on the podcast run, but I, I was always a fan of the, the Howard Stern show, um, which a lot of people think of him from his early days and the crudeness, but right. that is just a brilliant, brilliant man who, who knows how to get, get the most out of, out of his interviews for sure. Um, so where... Where does that come from as far as why are you consuming that content? And then how do you then apply that? Because a lot of people will, they'll read a book, they'll listen to a mm-hmm. podcast, they'll get motivated for 30 minutes and then they, <laughs> then they move on to the next thing. So how do you then apply that? That, that's a great question. So, so I don't know where it comes from. I, even when I was a kid, I like, we had a book reading competition in second grade, I think. And I, I was like, Oh, I, I just realized like you can read a lot of books. You don't, like, you, you don't just have to read what people tell you to, but you can go read. It. And so I've always voraciously consumed content, whether it's books or magazines. Um, I eventually got into listening to podcasts, um, audio books now. Um, so, so I've always, I've, I've always had that from, from very early on. Um, I think that I, I don't try to apply everything that I re- that I read or that I hear, but I but if it's something that sounds cool to me, I just make a point. Okay, I'm gonna buy that supplement, or I'm gonna sign up for a class doing that, or I'm going to try doing this. I try to talk about these things to people because because I, I find that when I start talking about the content that I'm reading with somebody, that we have conversations about it, and then it becomes easier to yeah. to, to turn it into action. Um, for me, fitness and supplements, and lately, I, I can't tell you how much money I've 
spent on self quantification. <laughs> I've done an organic acids test. I've done five or six biome tests. Uh, like, and and I hear about these things on 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 podcasts, and I'm just like, wow, this is this is really cool. You, you can take it. control of yeah. my own health. Yeah. So those I'm very good about going and trying. Or I'll hear about a brand of sneakers. Uh, Gary turned me on to one that I'm going to buy here shortly. <laughs> Topo. <laughs> Topo. Shout out to Topo. <laughs> um, what's your favorite form of content to uh, to uh, take in? I, You know, I, I love a good podcast, but I have to be honest, an audible book. Um, I... I've, I've, I've been, and especially because you can listen at 1.3 or 1.4 depending on yeah, the that's speed, right. you know, yeah. Uh, but, but honestly, I think that books are the best way to transition a, a lot of knowledge. Now, obviously, there's certain things that books aren't aren't all that useful for. But I, Nassim Nicholas Talib is one of my one of my favorite authors, and he talks about daily news is absolutely useless. Um, yeah, weekly news almost as useless, but a little more useful. Monthly periodicals, better. Books, that's where it's at. Because <laughs> things happen so quickly and we try to say that we understand what they mean, but I think it takes a while before you can really wrap your head around it. And that's why I like podcasts. That's why I like books. I don't like podcasts where it's, here's what's happening in the news today. I, don't, I just don't find those as yeah. useful. But it's the ones where they're talking to meaningful guests or... um. My favorite is Dan Carlin's ha- Hardcore History. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my absolute favorite, and, and I, I love to go sit in a sauna and just li- like listen to the, the Mongols invade you know, him talking His about the Genghis <laughs> Khan series <laughs> is insane. Yeah, exactly. So I've got something rolling in my head. It, Let's roll is, with it, Gary. This Let's is roll interesting, with it. man. Well, first of all, occlusion bands. Yes. <laughs> Have you tried them yet? Yes, I did yesterday. How jacked were your arms from doing it? I, I, I was going to go run outside, so I had uh, long sleeves, so I couldn't tell. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I sent him the sent same link, and he was like, hey, time. where'd you guys get these pictures of me? <laughs> so, anyway, occlusion bands is pretty cool. So I've sent my son, the shoe designer, who's also a CrossFit instructor. I said, dude, check these things out. And so he's checking them in. So th- this is from Murph Monday with with John Espy. But, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you followed through on those. They're, they're amazing. I, I swear by them. So, so Gary was telling me about he tore his bicep. And it reminded me that I'd, I'd listened to one of Ben Greenfield's books, and he, he had a whole section on occlusion band training. And, uh, and, and and I started using them, and Gary was telling me, man, I used to curl 100 pounds, and I, it hurts me to do 15. And I'm like, I do 15 with these occlusion bands, and, and, and it's a workout. You know, you ought to try it out. I'm glad to hear that you... you yeah, <laughs> it, it's good. I, I really like it. So, But here here's the interesting observation. So when I was just full-time coaching with Robert Fish, who's now our full-time coach mm-hmm. at, um, at BGW. But uh, I said, I want to know, I want to look across all of the clients that he had. I didn't even have a, a coach, mm-hmm. uh, coaching client yet. I want to look for all the commonalities. Mm-hmm. And, here were the, and he hadn't really thought about all those things, but here's the interesting thing. They were all into fitness, mm-hmm. most of them. They were voracious readers. Mm-hmm. They were humble and and si- outside counsel, and they they were all either involved in peer to peer roundtables or they had outside board of advisors or advisors that they went to regularly. They had a, a form of personal expression. So whether they were jacking their trucks up or whether they were driving cool, you know, G wagons or whatever. 
Um, but those were the commonalities. And as I'm listening to this stuff from you, and they had this curiosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is like was across every one of them. And then every one that I started coaching with him, and even when I was thinking about the ones that I had done before as kind of a side hobby, that was true. Yeah. I, I believe it. So there's two of my favorite books recently are uh, Dave Asprey did uh, wrote one called Game Changers and a Tim Ferriss wrote one called Tools of Titans. And in both of those, both of those guys have fantastic podcasts and they have access to guests. I mean, Rick Rubin, I mean, just the, the who's who of, of, of the elite of the elite. Yeah. And they both tried to boil it down to what are the things that these people do and, and that and, and everything you just identified um that they talked about they 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 also talked about there's usually um some form of community or spirituality that's very important um and there were a couple of other things but it was largely the things that 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 you identified there you ought to check both of those books out if you haven't so say those again (laughs) it's tools of titans by tim ferris and his is written a little bit more as a um it, it's more of a collection of here's yeah. what each individual does. It, yeah. And it's very useful, um, very useful. But, but, but it's not a book you read from start to finish. Exactly. You, you skip around yeah. for, hey, here's the content or the exactly. topics I want to learn about. Yeah, cool. And you skip to those chapters. Yeah. Cool. And then Game Changers by Dave Asprey, he wove it together a little bit more around here's the themes and then here's who taught me this. And here's why. Here's the 27 different people who told me meditation is awesome. Right. And there's... Of course, there's going to be the the anomaly of somebody that that doesn't like yeah. to do one of those things. But sure. yeah, the, the commonalities spread yep. throughout. And Aunt Gary, you had said reading books, and that used to be a major differentiator. But now there's so many different ways to consume content that yeah. somebody yeah. that has dyslexia or just doesn't enjoy sitting down and reading a book now can get the same effect yep. without yeah. having to prefer or enjoy sitting down with a, a hardcover book. It's, I'm, it's I'm curious, Ben, when you talk about, when you listen to an Audible book, do you, or do, I'm, I'm assuming you listen to Audible books. Yeah, yeah so when, when you listen to them, do you say I read the book or do you say I listened to it? Um, I, <laughs> uh, I, I would say I read it. I, I do too, usually. Yeah. Sometimes I'd say, well, I read it, but I actually listened to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sometimes I'll differentiate, but I say I read it. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. funny, I found myself that, if it's something that I want to consume, but I don't need to focus a ton on, I'll do Audible. Yes. But if I want to really dive deep on it, yeah. I'm going to read the actual book. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I try to. The, the one thing is, like, if I have a road trip or I know I'm going to get yeah. some good downtime, like, I'm, yeah, I'm getting, a, I'm getting an Audible book. I'm turning my subscription back on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine has yeah. gone on and off so many <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one and a half speed is about like, two. Two times is a little too fast. Yeah. I, I don't remember what it was. One and a half is about great. I was listening to one the other day and it was really in depth. I think it was about blockchains and cryptocurrencies where you actually have to really focus on Those can't be 1.4. No, no. I had to slow it down (laughs) to to normal speed and it felt so slow. It's like I needed at this speed, speed to be able to consume it. Absolutely. But, but it, it is great. The, the, the feature of being able to speed it up because there are some things that even in great books where there's chapters where you're like, I just want to get through this. Right. Yep. Yeah. Another great book that I recently listened to um, was Dave, uh, David Goggins' uh, Game Changers. Or not Game Changers. It's um, Can't Hurt Me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That If anybody hasn't <laughs> read that or listened to it yet, listen to it. Yeah. Because they they do It's one of the coolest formats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. So they'll read a chapter, 
and then they'll have a conversation, almost like a mini podcast, in between yep. the, the the chapters. Yeah, and it's just deeper stories oh, where somebody cool. is interviewing Goggins about his experiences, and they they go more much more in depth than what's just in the book. And and his whoever read it for him clearly like. Was, it was touched his, by it. Yeah. It was his uh, ghostwriter. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, and and he he. I mean, he was perfectly positioned to yeah. interview him. But did that book? At first, I was kind of like, okay, I don't know. Is this is this just going to be a bunch of, bunch of chest thumping? But it, it eventually you start to understand his mindset. And I've had that. I've like mm-hmm. I've had moments now where I'm doing something, and I'm just I'm picture, you know, I follow him on Instagram, and he's talks about. You, you see him running and he's calling himself a bitch and yeah. he's, he's like, I'm going to conquer the inner bitch in me. And you think it's bullshit. Yeah. But then yeah. after you hear it enough, I, I've done it in workouts now and it, it actually works. Like it's, I, I, I think there's a lot of lessons in that. So Not that everybody can be Goggin, but it, I'm <laughs> curious. And what are your, your thoughts on somebody like that? Where uh, so extreme as far as the yeah. just mental fortitude and forget everything else and just get out there and grind, right? Yeah. And embrace the suck. Yeah. Um, what are what are your thoughts on that versus the opposite side where it's it's all about um, enjoying yourself and living in the moment and not not getting too caught up in in performance and, and results? I, that's a great question. I, I think you have to balance them for you. I think everybody has a different level of balance, and clearly for that man what he's got is working for him. He was, he was, you know, overweight, unhealthy, unhappy, mentally unstable. You know, he had a lot of, a lot of very, very real problems. And he faced some obstacles that none of us thankfully ever will have to face. Just as the story is about the people who died in his life and who, the, the way his dad treated his mom. So he, he, I think for someone like that, you, the only way out and this is a guy who did <laughs> navy seals buds training three times because he, yeah. he hurt himself the yeah. first two times but he had gotten mostly through the program then goes and is an army ranger and then goes and runs you know at, and He's fails ultra. at a whole bunch of ultra marathons yeah. and then tries to break the pull-up record and fails twice and i think for a person like him who's so fundamentally broken you that's the right answer you you can become great by completely mm. just embracing yeah. the suck I think that there are other people who um, probably could take that too far and never get to enjoy their time. Yeah. And and for me, it's hard to balance the two because I like the idea of embracing the suck, but I also realize like you only have so many years on this planet, right. and you need to yeah. you, you need That's to enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, it needs to be a little bit more more balanced. But I can see why for for him, it had to be what it was. Yeah. Well, because you mentioned. Or, or we talked about Aubrey Marcus earlier, mm-hmm. and that's the complete opposite, right? It's yeah. all about you're exploring yourself and you're figuring out deeper meaning and things. Yep. And don't get me wrong, he's an ultra successful business person yeah. as well, but just a completely different mindset from Goggins. Yeah, no, and and I, yeah, you're right. It, for me, it's a balance of those two. Um, try to be, but Aubrey Marcus's book Own the Day was one of the most yeah, ch- like changed my life arguably as much as any other other book has because he was it was so smart the way that he framed it he's like look I don't want you to think about improving your life I want you to improve this day and here's how you make a great day yeah. and if you string together enough great days you're gonna have a great life right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no that's amazing um, I know we've kept you well over an hour. Not, so, hey, so can, I've enjoyed it for right. sure. <laughs> um, it's not it's not quite Joe Rogan length yet, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I think we'll I think we'll start to wrap it up. Gary, you have any any other questions or, or thoughts you want to make sure we get in? No, um, you know this has been fun. Every every time we do this, even with somebody that I feel like I really know well, I realize, oh man, you know, there's so much 
humans, there's so many layers to them. Right? Yeah. Exactly, man. And uh, so it's know, one of the cool parts about doing a podcast is from a selfish standpoint, yeah. we get to ask questions and go down avenues that yep. we're interested in. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tell everybody, they ask, like when I first started the podcast, they're like, why are you doing this? Yeah. You know? And I'm like, at first it was, I just am really curious what these people think. Like, yeah. and, and, and to get a chance to sit down for an hour or two with somebody that I admire, yeah. like that's awesome. And, uh, and then it became more about learning how to have a conversation. And and then it's a, it's a very, I've, I've found the podcast to give me a lot of, a, a lot of things that I didn't expect to get out of mm-hmm. it. And the name of yours is the defiance ventures podcast. Correct? That's correct. Okay. And that's I good. highly recommend it. It's really good. Thank you. I John's not giving that. himself enough credit. He's, he's a great interviewer and, and conducts a conversations really well thank you i appreciate that well um no where can people connect with you you know vicariously or whatever (laughs) what's what's the best way to do it besides joining us for uh, murph mondays (laughs) you know i i think the best is probably the podcast i've been i've been um better about um sticking to a schedule and so i i'm doing two a week i release two a week i do between one and four interviews a month but there's always something new and the and the guests are always i i hope that they're interesting some of them are more geared towards gems and other parts of my um <laughs> my my personal uh you know interest. my own personal yeah. interest yeah. but uh but but i think most people will find the guests interesting um, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Give me some context on why you want to connect, and, and I'll, I'll be happy to connect. And I share a lot yeah. of content on on LinkedIn. Um, I haven't been very active on on Instagram in a while, but uh, but but on on, on Twitter, I, I try to push everything out that I do on on Twitter. It's JSB seven one three on Twitter. Cool. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much. You've shared a ton. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I, I really enjoyed it, and, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to to hearing this one and seeing how yeah. it turns out. Uh, it'll be fantastic, and yeah. the audio quality will be superior. <laughs> That's right. That's and, right. And, we've got and, video. Video. and we've got video so people can see that your arms are two inches bigger than mine, Gary. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. John. Thank you, All buddy. right, take care, guys. <laughs>